place of beauty. It's always there in you. Taste the air. You can always go back there for that nourishment. And let yourself come back in your own time gently. Pay attention. Bringing back with you that which you wish. And in your own time, allowing your eyes to open back again in this room. Is there anyone who discovered anything that surprised them? Fantastic, fantastic. You know, when I was living at one time in a little hut in the forest doing a lot of meditation, and it was in the tropics, and I first went into this hut, it was just one room, um, and I went in and I put down my uh, few belongings. I was a monk at the time, a robe and bowl and stuff like that, and I looked around and it was beautiful little clearing in the forest, and then I looked up and there was this huge spider, I mean, it's like fingers for legs, and had this giant web up there, and I thought, oh my God, how am I going to meditate with this thing? <laughs> I don't mind spiders that much, but I mean, this was huge. And so I started to sit, and I would meditate, and then I kept this, I'm meditating, thinking, now how am I going to get it out? If I get a big broom, <laughs> you know, can I get it and take it outside, and then won't it, maybe it'll crawl, crawl up again, you know, at night, and it'll crawl over me, and all these scary things. 
And I was really in, in conflict with it for, for the first day or two. And I'd look at it, and, and I finally I went to sleep, and I looked at it, you know, and was it going to crawl down and get me, and all those kind of things. And I woke up, and it was still up there eating something it had caught, whatever. And I was sitting and meditating and fear, feeling really all the pain that I had in that fear of it. And I was sitting there and just feeling the pain of being so uncomfortable. And all of a sudden I realized, I don't know why it happened, I realized that actually it was a fairly tall cottage, even though it wasn't so big, that actually I was only using like the bottom part of it. And I had no use at all for that upper, like under the roof at all. And in fact it was fine, and I kept thinking it was my cottage, when in fact the spider was there long before I came. (laughs) And so I changed and I realized, well, maybe it's his cottage, you know. And I hope he doesn't mind that I'm here. I'll stay in my part if he stays in his part. And that whole shift, in a moment it went from pain and from the sense of aversion and all that to just, it's our cottage. You know, here we are. And there's a couple of us who live here. And it was just wonderful. It was just right. So thank you. Yeah, clarity, needing to know. It's just what, it's what uh, Don Juan said. The, the things that happen when you go along the path of a warrior that really trap you are power and clarity and something else and old age, finally. But it's getting attached to the things that you get. Since you never can really know anyway, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Who knows who's going to win the Super Bowl? Who knows how long we're going to live? I mean, of anything really important, what do you know? What does anybody know? I mean, who knows what love is that you can say? Or consciousness? Or where did this all come from? I mean, how did we end up in these weird things? (laughs) Nobody has a clue. No, so it's it's not to know. That's nice. Anybody else want to share anything that came from that? I just have another new hindrance. It seems like a lot of people are coming up with new ones. And my new one was the one that I got, my hindrance, was um, non-focusing. And that my path to enlightenment would just be through concentration and focusing. Through learning to focus, learning to be present. What was the symbol that came to you? mean in the first box? Well, first whatever. Box? I don't know how you saw it. Well, or the first box I just saw those flowers that are outside on that bush. There's really beautiful flowers out there. Mm. That was just like my symbol. It was a kind of, yeah, it was real simplistic. It was that first box of why I came here. Mm-hmm. I saw those flowers and that was that. And the, and the third box was great about what I could do for myself <coughs> and my um, heart. And there was a Walkman. And <laughs> a Walkman? Yeah, one of these things. Uh-huh. And um, that makes a lot of sense to me because one of the most healing things I do for myself is to l- just listen to real healing music. Listen to music. Mm-hmm. Listen to music. Do you want to share? Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> uh. What was in the first? I remember what came in the first box, but I can't remember what the what you said it was supposed to be. It was a red uh, ruby. Um, I, f- I forget too. What was supposed to? What did you come 
Why did you come here? That's right. What to discover? And it was labeled my heart. Oh. Oh. That's nice. The second box was a black and gold key. Um, and I didn't like it. I didn't want it, and it was labeled self-hatred. Mm. Um, so I guess I get to use that. That's the key to love, isn't it, in some way? And what is the thing that's the hardest for us to learn to accept or love? Well, it's pretty hard to accept myself. It sure is. I mean, almost by definition. No, it's no good. I'm no good. <laughs> it's the hardest. If you can even make a little kind of a little inroad in it, it's all of a sudden you see. Oh, it's just that. It's the. Key. It is. It's the key to that ruby. It's the key to your heart. That's beautiful. Uh, the third box. Um, I had a baby sock. <laughs> forget the wording of the last message, but it was just to play with children, to be with children, to be with kids. Mm. I, I don't know if it means have my own or play with them or be with the kids in me. Mm-hmm. Or two or three of the above. Yeah. She walks around with that teddy bear on the street. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Let me ask, even before getting the whole stories, how, just for people to name the things that they found would nourish their heart. Let's hear five or six or so of them, of what people found. Was that the third thing? That was the third thing. What was it for you? Fun? Rose. A rose, which means... Did it have any beauty? Uh-huh. A coconut. A coconut. <laughs> Which meant the, to be able to enjoy the meat and the milk, uh, both uh, work and uh, social. Uh, a kiwi. A kiwi. It's one of the most innocent things I take pleasure in. Uh-huh. <laughs> his, his rare innocent pleasures. <laughs> a shell. Uh huh. Being in nature. Being like a large loop and the completion and the Indian medicine wheel and the sense of I am the complete human being that I am and that all parts of that wheel are equal, so we're all good and bad, and there is no difference. It's just part of it. So it's sensing that completion. Others. A pussy cat, which means uh huh, vitality and joy. Uh huh. Play like a cat. A mirror. A mirror was was kind of like a. It's kind of like the mirrors that they that they sell where the middle part's a mirror and the top part says Times Man of the Year and you look in. <laughs> Uh-huh. Sense, you know, to look at yourself, for me to look at myself and 
with love. Uh huh. So. Nice. A little baby chicken. Oh. What? Means fun. Means being close to the earth. Being able to shit forever. Vulnerability. Uh huh. Uh, mine was the rose also, but it wasn't um, so much a visual thing of beauty as it was um, the smelling of roses and how that just, it was like um, breathing in the essence of things to just be with Just to stop and smell the rose, the the essence of the rose. I um, instantly saw the gifts before the boxes came. (laughs) Some people don't wait for Santa. They go out to the department store and kind of get their own I read you a letter, if I can. This is from George Wald, who is a Nobel Prize-winning biologist at Harvard. And he wrote it in response. There was a kind of an argument going on. It was the time when someone was starting a sperm bank for Nobel Prize winners. And some, some irate feminists wrote in and said, sperm bank, they should also start an egg bank. And so he wrote in response to this dialogue between these people, he said, you're absolutely right, Pauline. It takes an egg as well as a sperm to start a Nobel laureate. Every one of them has has had a mother as well as a father, and say all you want of fathers, their contribution to conception is really rather small. Actually, by now, Nobel laureate, I hope you're not really proposing an egg bank, he said, He said, Nobel laureates aside, there isn't much technically in the way of starting an egg bank. There are some technical problems, it's true, but nothing like as hard as involve the other kinds of breeder reactors. But think of a man so vain as to insist on getting a superior egg from an egg bank. Then he has to fertilize it. And when it's fertilized, where does he go with it? To his wife? Here, dear, you can hear him saying, I just got this superior egg from an egg bank and just fertilized it myself. Will you take care of it? I've got eggs of my own to worry about, she answers. You know what you can do with your superior egg. Go rent a womb, and while you're at it, you better rent a room, too. You see, he says, it just won't work. The truth is that what one really needs is not Nobel laureates, but love. How do you think one gets to be a Nobel laureate? Wanting love, that's how. Wanting it so bad, one works all the time and ends up a Nobel laureate. It's a consolation prize. What matters is love. Forget sperm banks and egg banks. Banks and love are incompatible. If you don't know that, you don't know bankers. (laughs) So just practice loving. Love a Russian. You'd be surprised how easy it is, really, how it will brighten up your morning. Love whales. Love Iranians, Vietnamese. 
not just here but everywhere. And then when you've gotten really good at it, try something difficult, like loving the politicians in our nation's capital. It's a letter from George Wald to uh, the Boston Globe a couple of years ago. Jack, my father was a banker. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, George. I don't know. Maybe it's just when they're in the banks that they're... Uh... <laughs> it's so beautiful, though. Wanting it so bad, one works all the time and ends up a, lo- a Nobel laureate. It's a consolation prize. What an amazing thing to say, you know. And so somehow in these gifts that we get inside, because it's not nobody needs to tell us what we have to do or what we have to learn or, or what our difficulty is that we can turn into something to awaken from. It's all, every bit of it is found in there. And really our practice is just to slow down enough or to take enough quiet time, or to take enough nourishing time to listen, to hear, because it's all here. It's all available. So maybe that's enough words. What I'd like to do again is do just a short sitting, silently, or maybe a little guided part of it, but mostly silently, and then we'll have some time for a walking meditation, and that's enough for the afternoon. Is there anything before we do that that anybody really wants to share that came up for them? Because I, I kind of stopped that. Yeah. Please. I, um, I got the first box and then the first box and fell asleep in the second box. Uh-huh. I didn't know what that well, that's your hindrance. That's the third one. It's called Sloth and Torpor. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's your one to learn from. Good. It just demonstrated. It said, I won't give her a gift. I'll show her how it's done. <laughs> Anybody else that's things left, please. The unconscious gets trite sometimes, yes. So maybe it's really your true name, that you really are a rainbow. Maybe everyone is. What is it? What's the word in Hebrew? Keshi? 
cash it. Cash it. Maybe you should try another language. <laughs> yeah, what's the word for rainbow in Sanskrit? <laughs> we'll look it up for you if you want, okay? Anything else unfinished from that, or please? You had a ruby and a... Well, it wasn't a ruby, but it was a heart. Uh-huh. A crystal heart. <laughs> and the second one was a key, and it was rusty on one side and gold on the other, so it was also... Beautiful. And the third um, was a stringed instrument, sort of like a heart, and I knew it was about music, but I wanted to see what the words were, what the inscription... And I picked it up and looked and it said made in Japan. Oh. <laughs> 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 I'd like to shoot. Please. Um, I'd Despite the Rose Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Rose Bowl. In this room, it's the Rose Bowl. Forget Super Bowl. <laughs> we got roses all over. It's fine. about to land, it <coughs> scooped over the wheel and then went over to where the sweat lodge is. And I suddenly knew, of course, they're in the sweat lodge today. So it sure is a power spot. Mm. Sunday, an annual Sunday. And then when you said there was an altar, because out in front of every sweat lodge there is an altar, because it's the head of the turtle. I felt, you know, this is right, here I am. <laughs> and uh, the gift that I got was a rose quartz, the first one. So yours was similar to that. I think it means the rose light of love. Mm. I don't know, that's the way I interpret it. Mm. What was the second gift? My second gift was a turtle. It was a turtle. Which uh, is meaningful for me in that I usually go much too fast. So I it's slow. I've been going so slow that I have annoyed a great many people. Uh -huh. <laughs> but uh, that was telling me to go slow. I Turtle is, is really a symbol for transformation. In some, in the Hindu culture, the whole world, the whole universe rides on the back of the turtle or in the, in the in Turtle Island. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a slow. I mean, the world... It, Two million years or two billion, whatever. It took, took a long time, you know. Take your time, please. Um, I want to say two things. First of all, um, I think it's wonderful that people are sharing so much. I remember a priest telling me on a retreat once 
you never hold back something because you don't know who needs to hear it. Ah. This morning, there was a woman here who was talking about how she was sleepy, and then she had all this pain in her back, and she went on and on, and I got very angry, and I thought, well, now that's stupid. I mean, I really don't have pain when I said I never have pain. I just, if I'm uncomfortable, I just move around. And this is this really stupid question. <laughs> and then I thought, why am I getting so angry about this? And that what I normally deal with is so much judging and so much anger that I don't even recognize. I just shut down. I go to sleep. I've been doing it for 15 years. And I started thinking this, and, I, and all through lunch, I was literally chewing on it. so awful, and there was so much suffering, and so much incompetence, and so many elected people who were just making it worse. And I had come here largely wanting to do with career issues. And I was so angry at all this, and I went on and on, and, and I just couldn't shut it off. And I thought, why should I think I can just focus on picking some career when the world seems so awful to me I don't even want to participate in it. <laughs> that's really powerful. So I, I don't know where that's going. <laughs> a good practice for you would be to go to India and try and mail a letter. <laughs> First you stand in one line. Okay, and it's and you get all, it takes about twenty minutes. All the Indian they take their time, and you get to the end, and he says, "I'm sorry, this is not the line for foreign letters." Okay, so then you go, and you get in another line for foreign letters, and you wait another twenty minutes, and you get there, and he says, "I'm sorry, this is not the line for stamps. We give the stamp after you put the place the uh, seal on. You must go, and they send you to this other line, and you go that, and you bring it back." And he says, have you weighed it yet? And there's another line for weighing. And you get in that line, and you get halfway through. And then this little man comes, I'm sorry, it's lunchtime, closing, all closing, two o'clock, open again. And there is mostly, I've, I've actually watched a few German people go crazy. I've really just completely <laughs> lose it. <laughs> It's, it's nothing against Germans, but it's that, it's that kind of punctual culture. It, it meets its match and it just dissolves. It just cannot withstand, you know. Who's, whoever said the world was supposed to be competent? As best as, has anybody looked around? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't, that's true. It runs pretty good when we lay off. That's right. That's right. But it is, it's very beautiful, and it really talks to you about, instead of, or in addition to finding your career, it's opening your heart and seeing that, that all this stuff that you judge in yourself or in other people, and that's the place where you find your, you might find your happiness in your career, but if your heart isn't open to it, you won't find it there. It really comes in this place of are we judging and do we want it and so forth, or can we somehow learn to open it? Well, that's beautiful. You know, somebody else came to me between one of these things and said, I want to share, but I don't kind of want to share in the group. Not much is happening for me, she said. You know, I, I mean, I think I should have all these feelings, and I've been feeling really happy for a number of months, and I came here, and, you know, there are people dying, people feeling sorrow and whatever, and, and I'm not feeling 
and I'm, I'm happy. And I wish I had some kind of, you know, problem or something so I could feel a part of it all. Oh. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and then she said it was very beautiful, actually. She said, because nobody gives you attention when you're feeling good. <laughs> No. So if there's anybody here who's feeling good, I think we should give them... (laughs) Anything else, else, please? Excuse me if I speak once more, my friend over there. There's something in that. I had a happy childhood. I had a happy marriage. My two children went through hell, but we were happy. I went through happy in hell. hell. I've been a happy person most of my life until I got into the work with Eve and began to realize how many unhappy people there were. And it really nearly finished me at first. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I've been so protected that I thought everybody was happy more or less. You know, I mean, sure they can't pay the rent now and then, but. Hell's bells, I'll be able to pay it tomorrow. Such blindness, and I don't know what else blindness, I guess, chiefly, is very frightening when it hits you. And you realize you've spent 50 years not seeing the world, really. And Just what's. From your own little throne, you know? What's the beautiful gift is that you can wake up. I mean, and even if 50 years is gone, I mean, it's gone a thousand, a million. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's also, if you have one moment, that moment where all of a sudden you realize, I've been asleep, it's the thing we were talking about before, it's so precious, it's so beautiful. And that's what wakes everybody else up. That's really special. Sure. Um, somehow, I would like to say that it's no less valid that you've had 50 years of happiness, nor is your, <coughs> just because you have been learning suffering, other people's suffering, it's really, you know, your experience is very valid and very real, and it's what we all want, I and what we all want for the world. So. I Hold on to that too. <laughs> yeah, again, there are a lot of people in here who'd probably trade with you. Say, all right, I'll go to sleep for 50 years, give me a little happiness, and then I'll wake up later. <laughs> sure, it's dessert first, somebody said. That's right. Okay, fine. Let's do one more sitting and then there'll be some time for movement and walking on your own. This won't be so long either. So for this one, let yourself sit up, let your eyes close gently, 
And for this time, for these 10 or 15 minutes, only pay attention to the breath if it's there right in front of you and you feel like it, you want to, if it's really apparent. Sit here and do nothing. Just let yourself sit. You have no job, no work to do, no place to get to, no place to go. Just sit here and be with whatever happens for you. Whatever it is, just be with it. And it might be the breath, and it might be thought, and it might be empty, and it might be real full. Just sit and be. And let all the weather changes happen as they will. Just let the weather come through you.
make it a gentle process. Make it a kind of allowing silence so you don't feel captured by it. There's a tendency to oh, think, oh, this is a real austerity. It can be done like that, but then it'll tend to close the heart because there'll be a quality of force in it. It's kind of allowing silence, noble silence. Um, it's real fun to play with silence. And again, uh, Jack and I and Alan are available. And if you find yourself in a tight spot and you'd like to get a little reflection on it, a little sense of what's appropriate for you, um, that's what we're here for. Is that what we're here for? That's what we're here for. How's the energy? Because the exercise we're going to do tends to make people very quiet, and therefore, if you're tired, you might tend to fall asleep. Um, Anyone want a cup of coffee? There is, <laughs> seriously, there's coffee out there. Um, we can also cut off the heat in the room for a while and let the cool come up. That would stimulate us. Mm -hmm. Cut the heat off. Okay, would somebody? Got it. Got it. Uh, in the meanwhile, we're heating up the room next door so we'll have more space for this exercise. I thought we'd get into the ah breath now. Ah. 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 A thought about the people who are uncomfortable. Please. I'm not uncomfortable. But perhaps it's that they're missing the uh, loving tenderness of a hug that they're used to. Mm -hmm. Or maybe human contact is mm -hmm. contacted. Sure. Is that part of it? Absolutely. That's what you have to get along without. <laughs> um, that's what we learn, have to learn to draw from ourselves. Because in reality, we don't ever really wholeheartedly believe it when someone says to us, I love you, until we have genuinely said it to ourselves. And where else are we going to go now to find that? We can't find it outside of ourselves. It doesn't seem to be outside of ourselves. It's painful to go through the letting go of this pain. If I knew some easier process, I'd be the first one in line. How many people in the room have done the ah breath? Huh. <coughs> right. Okay, if um, try not to choose a partner that's already done the ah breath when we go to it, so that you, whoever has done it, is working with someone who hasn't done it. This is the simplest exercise, the simplest meditation that I'm aware of for the combining of energies and even possibly the touching of consciousness, literally, the overlapping, the experience of overlapping consciousness.
Or like any exercise, it may be dry and absolutely nothing will happen. Um, this is an exercise that's particularly useful if you're working with someone who's ill. This is how we came across it. It comes out of the Tibetan tradition through Patricia, Patricia Sheldon in the Clear Light Society in uh, Boston. It was transmitted to her from a Tibetan monk. It's so simple that many of you may find that you have done it intuitively, that it's not new at all, because it's so natural. Simple, very natural. All it really is, is that one person lies on the... Can I use you as a guinea pig? Mm. You just lie down. Now, one, one person is just going to lie down in the same way that Cindy is. There is nothing for the person that li lies down to do but breathe naturally. Just let the breath come and go and just kind of receive, and <coughs> it's another experiment in truth. You're each going to have a chance to have both aspects of this experience. The person who's sitting is going to focus on the abdomen of the person who's lying down so that you can pick up their breath rhythm. As their abdomen rises, you can see the inhalation as it falls, the exhalation. As you watch this, what you're going to do is let go of your breath rhythm, your respiratory rate, and take on the inhalation and exhalation of the being you're working with. You're going to start breathing their breath in your body. They need not alter their breath. If they've got hiccups, they've got hiccups. If it comes fast, it comes fast. If it's slow, it's slow. It's the natural breath Are of the person. From the abdomen or the diaphragm? Right here, the abdomen. The right, it's wherever it's most noticeable to you. And, of course, with different patients, patients you might work with, depending on the depth or shallowness of the intake of their breath, it will be more noticeable in certain areas than the other. <coughs> See where it predominates and tune in on it. Now, because a change of awareness may accompany the course of this practice, there may well be a change in breath rhythm. So you can't just focus on the breath rhythm and lock into it. You must stay moment to moment with the process of their breath. If their breath falters for a little bit, let yours go for a little bit. If the person's breath you're working with, now it probably won't happen in this room, but it could happen with a patient in pain or high anxiety. If their breath rhythm is like that, and you try to take it on, you'll probably hyperventilate. In that case, what I would do is take the offbeat so that you take every other breath with them. For those of you who don't know, do you know about how to break hyperventilation? about the tongue. Oh, no. If you go into hyperventilation, you can break it by doing what's called the lion posture. That'll break, because try to breathe hard with your tongue out. It slows down. And that will break hyperventilation, should that occur, usually. 
This is what it looks like. Taking on her breath rhythm, breathing her breath in as it comes in, breathing it out as it goes out. Once, maybe in eight or ten breaths of coordinating and starting to breathe that breath in my body, once that's established, on the exhalation, one makes the profound sound of letting go, the sound, ah, ah. It is an extraordinarily powerful sound one which occurs naturally in all our lives in moments of completion. Ah, it's a very natural sound. It's the great sound of letting go. And you may find that you're a little surprised as you go to make that sound that instead of it being, ah, it's ah, <laughs> that it's pretty high. And that may be that a deepening and deepening until it really does come from the diaphragm, from, from the belly. So it's, ah, and this is just what it looks like. Yes. Lonely. <laughs> oh, could you feel that happening? Yeah. What happened actually is it started to happen for us on the third inhalation before we got to the ah sound. Could you feel it at that point? Yeah. It's phenomenal how, you know, we think we have to live 20 years in a cave, but our real nature is so close to the surface in a certain way that sometimes we are amazed at how the simplest thing can connect beings at the place that goes beyond personality, at the space out of which thought comes instead of getting lost into the content of the thought. I don't want to say too much else about it until we... Um, you should not be touching the person who's lying down. The reason being, particularly with a patient, that it's very important if this happens to, quote, work, unquote, for you and a patient, that the patient does not think that it came from you. It's very important that a person, particularly a person who's in anxiety or pain, a person who's at the end of their tether, feeling some hopelessness, some helplessness, find that they do have this resource within themselves. And it's really your obligation to take no credit for this exercise when you do it with someone, but to play it very lightly. Because at four o'clock in the morning when you're not around and no one's around and they're climbing the walls with anxiety or pain or sleeplessness or fear, 
In actuality, what has happened is you have taught them to meditate without a single word of philosophy, without a single extra trace, because then at four o'clock in the morning they can watch their own belly go up and as it goes down go, ah, 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 until it comes into the, ah, until that pain can be released. Very powerful, wonderful tool, wonderful thing to share with another being. So you don't touch them so they don't mistake any of that. Now because layers and layers of our holding may become noticeable, any number of all the 10,000 possibilities, as you go into this kind of intimacy, I mean we don't even listen to every word someone says, much less take a breath with the person. It may be as close attention as you ever pay to anyone. And there may be in that intimacy all the hindrances, all the confusion that comes to me any moment of in intimacy. There may be fear, there may be strong sexual content, there may be strong giddiness. Just watch that, stay with it, keep breathing. Now, because we have this seven days, usually when we do this in a retreat, we do it for about 10 minutes each person. But I think we could do it longer. I think we could do it maybe 20 minutes each person tonight. You may find yourself starting to fall asleep. That's okay. If the person you're working with, and this can be done with very few words, if you want to be woken, tell the person you're working with that if you fall asleep, if you start snoring, to wake you. And the way you would wake the person you're working with is staying in rhythm with their breath, just lightly touching their heart, continuing the ah. And as the ah comes, touch their heart, take your hand away. You don't have to touch a person's heart once or twice, they'll, they'll awake. That's all I think that we need to know about. Is there any, yes? Um, when you're doing that, are you sending something to the other person? No. All you are really doing is allowing breath to commingle, to take on that person's breath rhythm, to breathe it in your body, and to let that awe come from a deep place, and to watch the myriad levels of the movie that unfolds, or doesn't unfold, and responses, and just be present with that being. Um, and watch mercifully. A person lying down should have their arms at their side, their legs out straight. I wouldn't cross your arms or hands. Maybe you want to loosen your belt so your belly's breath can be more free. Yes? And you're just holding your hands above your stomach? No, you're not doing anything. Oh. Your hands. I, I just did that to show you. Now the this is important, what she's saying. Uh, what if the person's breath is so shallow you can't see it? Or what if the person goes into um, moments where they have quieted down enough that they don't need breath and they aren't breathing? Just for the person sitting up or the person lying down, just see what that's like not to breathe. You don't even need to breathe sometimes. <laughs> 
Yeah. This is one of those, I want to get in on it kind of thing. Uh, I've done this uh, three or four times, and as a person lying down, my experience has always been to get into very slow, deep breathing by myself, and I've, I've never really experienced anything special. Naturally, I want some of that, a little desire. Whatever it is she got. How do I get that? Patience. Patience. Um, when you say slow, deep breathing, are you, you mean when you're lying down, you're controlling the breath? Or it's it happening happens, naturally? It just happens naturally. Huh? Don't know. Let's oh, just wonderful. see. You know? You tell an awfully good joke. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have everything. <laughs> you see how that is. And watch, too, how expectation locks us in. How it limits us. How it um, tightens the breath. Yes? Then you trade after 10. What we will do after probably 20 minutes, I'll come along and I'll ring the bell. And then I'll just suggest that you sit with what you feel or stay lying down with what you feel for a few minutes. Then you will silently switch. And um, you'll just begin again. And then 20 minutes later, I'll come around and ring the bell. There really is very little need for any speech at all. When you choose someone, the, really the only thing you have to decide is who's going to lie down first and who's going to sit up. Who's a hot dog and who's a hamburger? Is that, is that <laughs> um, and I think rather than, uh, because there is nobody here who's ill and in need of sleep quite in that way, I think, uh, if the person falls asleep, just touch their chest lightly. With the ah breath, just touch their chest lightly over the heart. But don't mistake that somebody's asleep too quickly. You'll know when they're asleep. You hear that. <laughs> it sounds like you're saying in some other context that may be desirable that the person goes to sleep. Would this be something you'd use with a patient to help them get I've seen people in, uh, in um, unable to sleep from pain that have fallen out in this exercise. Mm -hmm. You can actually also do this exercise with someone who's restlessly asleep and just watch them, even in coma, and watch them calm down. Mm -hmm. There's more under heaven and earth than uh, we know of. Any question? Yeah, Alan. Stephen, I work with a man that had emphysema and very difficult to breathe, hooked up to oxygen. Would this be appropriate to use? Try it. I don't know. Well, this is gone. <laughs> <laughs> In that case, I would definitely try it. <laughs> Tell about your experience with Susan with this exercise. Yeah, I'd love to. Please. Um, when, when Susan was dying, she went into coma, and she had, um, I don't think she was, you know, she wasn't conscious prepared to go into coma. And she, was, she was pretty, you know, she had a lot of anxiety and a lot of pain, and very uneasy and had a lot, really a hard time uh, breathing. And I started, we were several of us there, and we took turns and we did the eye breath with her. And it, Aside from getting her to calm down in her coma, um, she was in coma, although she was aware of what was going on, she, uh, 
she took over the our breath after about, oh, I don't know, about eight hours of this. She took over the our breath and calmed down to such an extent that she was at the deepest our breathing, you know, just incredible, just from her belly that should shake the whole bit. Mm -hmm. And she took over this our breathing, and, she, and we continued doing it with her at intervals, but she kept it up for a couple of days, nonstop, mm -hmm. you know, through the night. And died with it, right? And died with it, and mm -hmm. she died with uh, me, me going with her. In her, in her ah, I said, I was just doing the ah breathing with her, and she just, <sighs> no. just, just went, ah, and it was beautiful. And you could, I could really see um, her anxiety levels changing by the depth of her ah breathing. And, you could, and she was, you know, she was very much doing it all the time herself. I was recently asked to spend some time with this fellow who had been a, a well-known political uh, activist in the 60s, who was about my age and was dying of uh, pancreatic cancer. And when we met him, um, I didn't want to get into a lot of, he was already a very intelligent, intellectual fellow with a lot of whys, and not W-I-S-E, W-H-Y-S. And I didn't want to get into that. I didn't think that that was really the work we had to do together. So I, after about 10 minutes, I said, let's do this. So we did this. And afterward, he said, that's interesting. Listen, will you come back um, soon? I said, he was in Santa Fe. He said, well, I'm going to go back to Taos tonight. If you need me, call. I was home about six hours, and his friend called and said, uh, he, he's starting to die. Got there about midnight stayed all night with the people and the next morning he was very quiet uh, for a while and then he started to get agitated quite agitated he said take me outside i want to be outside we took him outside and many of his old sds friends were there some really lovely beings um but not with much experience in this realm particularly and they were serving him and trying to help him and he started to go through levels of uh, you could see his levels of letting go. You could almost see the aggregates melting. Um, and there was a kind of fighting with it. At first, um, he would let go of one element, as it were, at a time. You could see him let go of the earth element. After a while, his restlessness wasn't as great. His, he wasn't moving his body. But there was twitches going on. His face was twitching. He was turning his head sometimes. He was talking off and on, kind of... Um, with anxiety, and then you saw him let go of talking. And then you saw him let his eyes close. And this took over hours and hours and hours and hours. He was really, uh, he didn't trust death, so he only was letting it in an increment at a time. It's a much longer story, but that's not important, really. After about seven hours, he got to the place where when his eyes were open, I noticed a fl flea walking across his eye, and there was no blink. He was really dropping into that space. And just as he dropped into that space, when he really trusted it, he said about five ahs and died. But he didn't come to that place of awe again, naturally, until he dropped levels and levels of his attachment to various aspects of his body, of his mind, of his memory, of his reputation, of his uh, belief system. But when it came, it came as five deep ahs, and he split. Steve, mm -hmm. do I understand that the 
the person lying down also joins in in the same? No. No. There, I can understand why you misunderstood that, though, because once they, because I said at four o'clock in the morning they'll do it themselves. What's really important when you do it with someone is that first you've made this your own. And maybe you've done it with loved ones, two or three different people, three or four times each maybe. So that when you go in, you're not saying, I heard a good idea, but from the confidence that you don't need to talk too much about it, can say very lightly, very non-programmed, I just came across something interesting. You want to you do this? Feel like it? If you don't like it, tell me to stop. Without any, this is going to take you here and this is going to take you there. So there's no programming, no failure, nothing lost. Because that's one thing someone who's real ill and anxious doesn't need, is more feelings of uh, helplessness. And you get into it. Then afterward, if they say, what was that one? You say, well, you know, it's you. You can do it anytime you want. And then if they're well enough, you might even switch positions with them. Even if, even if they're really ill. And if they can sit up, or even if they could roll over on one side and watch your, your abdomen. And let them have the, uh, what they may imagine is the power seat. But isn't actually. Because when it seems to happen, it's, it is an equal entering into the presence. <coughs> I think that's all you really need to know. Stephen? Yes. It seems to me you're one step away from an energy uh, embrace, a, uh, a sacred meditation or sharing, energy sharing experience. It's not one step away. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting meditation. I, I don't want to, I think we've had enough talk. Yeah. Choose a. Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much space on the other side, mm. all around. Mm. Yes? I have one question about the technique. Yes. Um, do we, does the helper mirror exactly as possible the uh, breathing of the other person? This came about when I could feel the person I was helping um, the exhalation would not be complete. The exhalation would be very partial, and then it would be an intake of breath again. And um, it wasn't clear to me at the moment whether I should then do the same. Yes. Um, it's, each person's breath is, in that moment, unique to themselves, their rhythm. Uh, if you try to breathe them, a control will come into it, and that merging when beings surrender and go beyond the places of holding won't be experienced. It may be that a person's breath will be so shallow that you won't get, it'll only be, uh, uh, uh. But that can come from very deep. Like you can still be letting go, uh, uh. In fact, it can get so, for instance, with Alan's question about a person with emphysema whose throat may not be able to take the, the, the power of that sound, you might only be going, there's great power in that. So you do mirror exactly. 
what you feel, what you sense is going on. Mm -hmm. You do exactly what you sense is going what on. What you see is happening. You really try to follow that breath. Um, and if the person's breath becomes very shallow or their breath stops, you just stay with that. I mean, this is a kind of, this is uh, infinite joyous surrender. Surrender without surrender, effortless. Just merged, just <coughs> happening together. I would also like to comment. Um, someone was doing what sounded almost like a chant. Yes. And that was very um, upsetting. Because it was Did it work for you nonetheless? Yeah, I had to. My, I was at that <coughs> moment uh, lying down. Right. And um, uh, I found myself getting angry. Right, that you noticed that hindrance. In my throat. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so it, it was a momentary difficulty until I could let go of the anger and get back into the Right. Right. You know what's remarkable is if it works in this room under these conditions, <laughs> imagine what it's like when you're with someone you love and you can hold them or you're in a quiet room, you're in a safe, familiar place. You can get very deep, very quiet. It's a wonderful thing to do with your children. Mm -hmm. You can even do it with animals. Donkeys, donkeys particularly. <laughs> they taught me, actually. Of course, it's sort of, uh -huh, with a donkey. <laughs> one enters where one can. <laughs> You know, it reminded me so much of being uh, like a child, and I did it with another man, mm -hmm. and the voice uh, reminded me as of a father, and I felt very young, like five or six years old, and mm -hmm. it was so peaceful, mm -hmm. it was just really lovely. That's your nature, that's what's there. Nothing was created, something was just tuned into. The only boundary between your bodies is the thought. There's a boundary between our bodies. In fact, one of the pain meditations we do is taking people into their bodies and then coming right to the skin, and then you can feel an inch beyond your skin. Where's the edge of awareness? And awareness starts to... I mean, is the, does awareness stop at the edge of the room? A plane flies over. Awareness... <coughs> it flies through awareness and you start to go to the edge of awareness and there is no edge and you go out and you experience <coughs> the sun and the moon and the stars are all floating inside of this awareness you call I am and you can get that and of course then for somebody in pain to the degree they're contacting that spaciousness pain is like this awareness is you know, he has to look back as if from tens of thousands of miles away. And the pain is like the earth, it's just this little fence. I also felt um, my body more fully, maybe than I ever have with my legs and feet, like into the ground in mm. a tingling way that I never felt. Mm -hmm. And this is just trying it once. Imagine if you did it every uh, full moon, all night long. <laughs> 
Wow. Someone would have to come in with a sponge. <laughs> but you can do this for any length of time. I don't think there's anything in this exercise that could hurt anyone. Because if you found that you weren't comfortable uh, at some degree of spaciousness, with some known security no longer evident, your breath would probably hold, and you'd break the letting go anyhow. It's a kind of <coughs> self-secure um, exercise. You can't go farther than you can go. Did you actually go 20 minutes for each of them? Yeah. Really? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. <laughs> I sat down, I said, David, he said, ah. No, it's still going on. I think I have delayed reaction. After, I was lying down first, and... I just got such a connection to Mark has such a wonderful ah, and it's so deep. And it was, and it's just, it's just like it just sort of pushed the air out of me every time. And and then after, and and, and this is all with this crazy mind just flipping off to all kinds of other things that uh, have nothing to do with what's going on. Mm -hmm. And and it, it's so happening. Mm -hmm. And then and then when we finished, uh, first I, I felt like when I helped him afterwards that it was like he had loosened something in me that I, that I got deeper um, something mm -hmm. more more depth more energy more something that that had ever happened before and and then when we were talking I, I just feel a lot more open uh, from that from mm -hmm. that experience and it's just wonderful healing is so available to us it's right right here in this practice Please. Being the sitter breather just now is the fastest twenty minutes I've spent, uh, maybe maybe ever, that I can ever remember. Certainly in this uh, mm. one thing that <laughs> you'll pay for that. I'll, I hold grudges. One, one thing that strikes me, I wonder if you could do that as a large group exercise with. Like when we do, we went into sort of the an alm chant the other day, and everybody sort of segued into it and matched their voices. I wonder if you could do it with a whole group of people. That yes, you can, but it's a different exercise <laughs> because then it's a controlled breath exercise. Well, maybe. And then another level of that is because there wouldn't be one natural breath. Maybe the leader would be. You could have one leader doing. You'd have one leader doing. No, no, just everybody watch everybody else's abdomen until it sort of sorted itself yeah. out. <laughs> That's what we were doing. <laughs> Not a leader, a group consensus friend. Weren't you the fellow that was thinking about sex a little while ago? <laughs> I know why you want to watch everybody's abdomen. <laughs> watch your own abdomen. <laughs> Cut and we were like cut off. Felt really sad. Mm. 
precious this intimacy. <coughs> how seldom we touch it, yet how available it is. Actually, Jack knows a great deal about breath. This is the first time he's done this <coughs> exercise, right? Mm -hmm. I'd really like to know what... Because Jack was going to answer your question about how a leader, too, can... Well, the exercise was just, was, was marvelous. Um, it's so simple. Mm. That's, that's so simple. And lying there and breathing, um, it was, it was like, there was something like, a little like dancing. It was like feeling the breath and then there was this sound and there was this tremendous joy that came that, wow, there's this sound that follows it. And it was like, it wasn't leading exactly, but it was like there was this dance happening. I don't have anything to say about it. It's wonderful. <laughs> For his question about a leader um, doing the breath. I, I actually, I haven't seen it done with a large group. I've seen, seen a couple or a few people follow one set of breath. You can do it. It's, I've seen it in temples where they're done chanting and stuff. And you can get very connected, a whole group of people together, keeping with the same rhythm of breath. Sure, you can do that. There was another, a very different kind of breathing. One, one uh, temple that I went to was quite strange, actually. Um, it wasn't a paired breathing, but it was just very, very deep breathing. And I went in, it was a hall maybe five times the size with mirrors on it and a giant golden Buddha at the end, as they have in this place in Burma. And you would just do very deep breathing for an hour, sitting up, without stopping. Um, and then you'd sit, the whole room would sit in silence for a second hour and just feel what came out of mm -hmm. 500 people doing as deep breathing as they could for an hour and the space afterward. And it was like the room would just disappear. First there'd be mirrors and lights and then there was just kind of light and space and things like that. I sometimes have these big group mm. harmonica classes and everyone has to breathe at once right. because it's a right. little different. Uh -huh. It's not like a consensual thing, it's me setting itself. That's why I like the idea of everyone just looking at each other to set. <laughs> once when I was at Gethsemane Abbey, there was a Ramakrishna monk who came and stayed and spoke to the chapter that evening. He was talking about breath techniques. And he said to the monks, most of whom are now, I'd say over 50. And you may not realize it, but the breath control you needed to sing Gregorian chant was as good a breathing exercise as I've ever seen. Mm. Mm. Um, yes? I use this technique a lot in my opinions, and I find that it's the only place that I can really find what letting go means and how soft and Happens. You just came on it intuitively, huh? Yeah, mm -hmm. I did. And then I've done um, some work with healing with voice. Healing with? With voice. Mm -hmm. But I find for me that just the resonating factor that starts in my body, uh, you know, that, that's just the resonation, mm -hmm. how it opens me up to mm -hmm. the rest of the resonation around me. Yes. That I, I become out of my body. Yes. And, um, Imagine if you were making love, you took on your partner's breath, and you did this exercise, and the whole lovemaking took on this rhythm. 
it's the basis actually converting it that way is a, this is one of the most powerful tantric exercises something you might want to try not the second <laughs> Yes. As a matter of fact, we're going to break the silence with chanting. Because when you break it with talking, it's putrid. <laughs> <laughs> Please. While they were laying down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I found it really hard to match to, and even when I took <coughs> the breath in between, I couldn't. Were they controlling their breath, you think? You don't feel, it didn't feel natural to you, their breath? It didn't feel natural. Who was her partner? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was supposed to be a problem for her and a problem for, you know, the other person, too. Um, uh, I was breathing very slowly, and... Um, I was constant, and what I ended up, I, and then she would say, ah, and then I wanted a nice long ah, yeah. because then I was letting go even after that, and then it was really nice. I mean, I was having a nice time because I was listening to all the ahs, then not to the ahs, and then it was great, ah, it let go all in my neck, and a uh, certain part of my neck and shoulders here that a little bit stiff. Um, and so then there was a nice long, uh, I was letting go and letting go, and I was pausing, sort of, rather than inhaling right away. Anyway, it was very nice for me. <laughs> Devil get the hindmost. <laughs> and then you see, since I wanted a longer awe, I sort of assumed that it would be nice for her. And, but you see, I time with that, and she, she, she didn't like that either. <laughs> Frustrated because he wasn't paying any attention to when I stopped breathing. But you're going on. What do you feel? <laughs> you feel that frustration? Do you feel the sadness in that frustration? Oh, yeah, I don't know. How we long to be intimate. How we long to merge with other beings. I mean, that's really the lesson. That's just this moment. You'll find someone who um, you feel more harmonious with in that moment. <laughs> But you'll never forget him. <laughs> if you see him ten years from now, you won't know where you know him, but you'll know you know him. <laughs> because you've shared something. It felt like it was a real mirror for me of how my own control and gets in the way of Here we are. How many people did it not quote, unquote, work for? How many people did it not work for? What does that mean? How she's like describing that it, she didn't, she felt dry, she felt uninspired by it. Oh, no, I wasn't uninspired at all. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't uninspired. <laughs> didn't work for Milton, I guess. Milton, how was it for you?
I breathe uh, very uh, uh, slowly. Uh. <laughs> and my, my partner uh, breathes uh, very, uh, very shallowly. That's why maybe you want this something like this. You do a few times. Find where your ease is in it. Yes. That happens to be true of my partner and myself, but that didn't prevent us from tuning into each other. And, and so I think it worked very well, although there was that real gap between our natural rhythms. One of the things, too, when somebody's different, it's almost like having two different opinions. You see the tension in between them. Because actually, if your body stays really soft, you can breathe any breath rhythm at all. If the person's breathing, you could take that if you could stay soft and not resist. Or if they were breathing, you could do that. It's just the fear. Again, we get into what we started to talk about. You might start to touch breath anxiety. And that you might have to work at that level for a little bit. If it was like a loved one dying, and it was more important that you tune in than that you uh, um, protect your anxiety, you would find your way into that person's breath. Yes, please. This was the most profound experience I've had since I've been here. In fact, I feel like I've just woke up. Um, it was interesting when I was laying. At first, I was trying to breathe properly. And then, I, it was like I just let go of my breath. And I could feel that it, it was becoming irregular at times. And then, it became more regular, and then my body started shaking. Mm -hmm. And um, also, I've had stomach problems <coughs> in the last year. And right before my body started shaking, my, my stomach really started hurting. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then, right after the shaking, the pain stopped, and it was like I just sank right into mm -hmm. the floor. Mm -hmm. it, it was just absolutely incredible. Oh my. Mm -hmm. And it's all yours. So simple. <coughs> there is so much to us. So much to us. Yes, please. Stephen, is there anything to the shaking? I, um, I had a very good experience when I was sitting up. Uh-huh. Lay down, feeling like I was going to breathe like I usually do, which is a low level. By the time I took the second breath, I—I've never hyperventilated in my life, but I, I assumed that this was close to hyperventilation, um, and I couldn't control any muscles. I was—I mm. I was. Mm. What was your state of mind as your body was doing that? All I was trying to—I all I was trying to do was move into it and try to relax into it uh -huh. because I, I was really <coughs> worried 
because I I didn't know what was coming. Right. I, I had to cross my ankles to keep my feet from right. drumming on the floor, and it went on for almost the whole 20 minutes. But How does your body feel right now? It feels fine. Does it feel like it did before? before you started the exercise? Or did it feel a little different? Well, now that you asked, I'm, I'm um, tingling. Yeah. <laughs> Are you hot? Real hot? Yes, I am. Yeah. Oh, we carry a lot of stuff around with it. And when you put it down, um, uh, pretty amazing. And there may easily be a, a shaking, a letting go, a shaking loose of holding, of tension in the muscles. Um, I don't think anything could happen. My sense is nothing could happen in this exercise that would harm you. But just to come to whatever edge, always gently, without force. Uh, you do it one time and one thing happens another time, the process of, of shedding. What you describe is not uncommon for people who have... <coughs> getting into a little deeper meditation practice. Letting it go, getting, letting it out. Kind of shaking it loose. And you'll be enlightened by 2.25 tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> if you think of nothing but Jesus between now and then. <laughs> Oops, you thought of something else. <laughs> Next incarnation. Yes. Uh, what about working with people that have real shallow and then real irregular breathing patterns? Uh, like when, when you're doing that and you lose their breath pattern, if they get real irregular, should you just let it go and, until you can pick up and readjust your breathing to theirs and then pick it up again? Or, or uh, I mean, it might be that in uh, a 20-minute period, there's only... 40 or 50 moments. Maybe twice a minute you happen out of a 20, we'll say the person's respiration is 20 times a minute. Uh, you might only catch one or two of those. But you're, someone is sitting with you. Someone is paying attention. Someone is caring enough for you to, to try. That's uh, the foundation of what's going on. And as that person uh, settles in a little more, you may notice that his breath rhythm does accommodate participation a little bit better. <coughs> Again, try this lots before you ever work with a patient, before you work with somebody who does have a strain, has pain, has some holding, so that you really, it's so much yours that um, you just know what to do. It just happens through you. So one maybe who hasn't shared yet, Yes, please. I'm Melvin's partner, and I just want to say that it's just more than so-so, because after all, we both yawn at the same time twice. <laughs> <laughs> you both what? Yawn. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody have the experience where they couldn't tell whose thought it was? We couldn't tell whether it was your partner's thought or your thought? There was just thought passing through mutual space? Do you ever notice when you're doing it that you can tell when your partner's state of mind changed? At the very instant it changed? Mm -hmm. well, I, I, had a, I have a sensation that, that um, when 
my eyes closed that he moved closer and there was a definite shift in the, in mm-hmm. the Imagine developing this. I mean, you want to develop connection with someone that goes beyond having to explain. Stephen, we had the experience of uh, my partner's awe was quite light and I found myself at some point wishing that she would get louder and about as soon as I wished that she would get louder, she got louder. Someone else, didn't you? Yes, you had your yeah. hand. Um, when I was um, doing the Oz, I know I felt like uh, at, right at the very end, like my hand started to, it's like getting rebirth. Tetania. Yeah, and it was, um, it was it, it was really neat because I, I, I remember doing some rebirthing <coughs> a while back and um, it was it was great. It was just like I, I, I haven't had a mind state like that where no thoughts mm-hmm. for such a long period of time. It was like mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Well, is it working? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's one now. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, please. I learned a variation of this technique at a counseling center, and they called it integration therapy. And they used it on people who didn't feel their feelings very well, which was and is definitely me. What they had me do was lie down and breathe deeply, and that was supposed to bring on the feelings. And if that didn't work, they had me do what they called breath of fire. Yes. Which is sort of like hyperventilating. This is more a Reichian technique you're describing. Oh. Yeah. Well, they, they changed the name. And it, it always Did you have uh, your hands go in at all during any of those? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. I would get so rigid. Yeah. What causes this? What is this? Tell us Um The release of tension. The letting go of separatism. And I think for me, it was, I just, I did not want to feel this stuff. I didn't want to let it in, and so I tightened my body so tight, so I couldn't feel it. And I just wouldn't breathe. Did you notice less aggression after that happened? Yes. Yeah. Because some of this may have to do with the aggression we've turned in, the not knowing what to do with our feelings, and it just turns in like that. <coughs> and that may happen sometimes during an exercise, and then not happen again for a while, it's the letting go. We so much is buried, so much is stashed away, right into the very, right into our very self. Yes. Uh, I had a sort of a similar thing with my hands after feeling very, very relaxed and comfortable and supported, and sort of waves going through me. Then I had a sense of tightness in my hands, but my hands lifting up and sense of my whole body is getting ready to close. Ah. Very, you know, yeah. And two, 
Imagine being alone, like right now as I speak, do you notice how my voice reverberates in the room? Mm -hmm. Now when you're alone making that sound, you get a kind of rever reverberatory feedback that you don't get when everybody's doing it in the same room. What you pick is up is other people's vibration. When there's just you and another being deeply into this, I mean, the song uh, encompasses you. It has that much more potential when there's not other sounds going on. I mean, if it works here, you really get a sense of how powerful it have to be to work in a situation where there can be... Um, one can slip into... I think if we let this go an hour, probably 90% of the people in the room would be breathing the same rhythm. Yes, please. Vicki and I were in the chapel, and uh, it was really incredible because that lulling went so deeply. And um, oh, you were alone, right? Yes, we were, and uh, mm. it was a, a real deep feeling. And uh, at first, when I was um, Vicki was lying down. And I started to feel nauseous, you know, mm. and I think it was, it felt so intimate. Yeah. And then I just waited a minute and that passed and then got on with it and then went very deeply into it. And I just couldn't believe when you were ringing the bell it was time. Mm. <laughs> it felt very sacred. Well, as he said, it's a sacred breath. It's a sacred exercise. Please. Describing before about the boundaries, um, she was wearing she's wearing brownish colors, and she was on um, the brown and green here. And I had to concentrate so hard on her her abdomen going up and down, and she's also wearing kind of light brown pants. Did you start hallucinating? Well, I got kind of did. So anyway, when I concentrate so hard, and first of all, I, I didn't express to you that I, I, I felt a lot of guilt towards myself at one point because I used to play tennis a lot and I thought, God, if I had ever concentrated on a tennis ball as hard as I'm trying to... <laughs> 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 this is a hell of a lot more important than a tennis ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there were those fleeting moments that But what happened was, as I was concentrating, um, I started to see the breath going all the way down her leg. And I could only see in my mm -hmm. peripheral vision mm -hmm. as far as the knees, and I was too scared to let go of the abdomen because I didn't know if I could find it again with all the ground. <laughs> so it, it was this rippling effect, and it was going all And then she mentioned that she felt really centered afterwards all the way down to her toes, and it was interesting because I could see the breath going all the way down. Mm -hmm. And at the times, I couldn't even tell when she was taking a breath in because the ripples were going over here, and I was going, whoa, 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 what is it? And it was real hard. I kind of had to fix it. I could see this going on in front of the Anybody stop breathing? How many yeah. people stop breathing? Interesting, huh? Don't even need to breathe. Please. This was so profound and so deep for um, the two of us that I noticed that I really slipped into a trance situation when I was, you know, when we were in the odds. And when Bell came, it was just like a shock. And I got really aware that doing it with someone that there may be the need to put some kind of a container on the length of time that you might want to do it. Because you know, I can see what's going on and on and on. <laughs> Got something better to do? <laughs> Go for a double feature. Breathing <laughs> marathon. You get hungry at some point. Yeah, right. Yeah. Maybe not. Break for lunch. You don't need to breathe, why? It's true, too. 
Yes, you had some hallucinations. <coughs> I, st I started, uh, when you said that, I went, oh yeah, I did. I started to hallucinate when Linda was lying on the floor. I could really see her um, her belly button real easily, just the, the indent in her sweater. And all of a sudden, I was so concentrated, and it looked like this mandala started. Uh, mm. Her belly button was the center, and then it just started kind of moving and, and dancing around. And, and then I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, what's going on? And all the light, light flashing and stuff. But it was, I realized I started Who was her partner? When she pulled back and said no, it shook. She must have broken her concentration. Could you feel it? What was your experience? Um, I was really filled up with joy and had a smile and um, I was so filled with gratitude to have such deep attention for that long a period of time and um, it was a great gift to receive. It's your birthright, <coughs> along with all the suffering, too. <laughs> oh, please, yeah. Uh, the last few years, I've noticed as part of an interesting side effect in working with patients that I find myself increasingly focused in on them. Nice side effect. The last few months, it's reluctantly been dawning on me that my patients get more out of our sessions when I say very little. Uh, and I wonder if maybe I've been missing the point. <laughs> Sounds like you're getting the point. <laughs> now, yes. I wonder if you would talk on... No, I won't. <laughs> Often our talk is just an excuse for us to be together. Because we don't know how to be together in silence without going crazy, without getting frightened, without diverting our eyes. Uh, this is a nice one. You know, um, once you get really used to an exercise like this, you can both talk and do this exercise with a patient or a friend or a loved one. I've even seen people that can't get the waiter's attention, so they start watching his abdomen, they take <laughs> on his breath, and he's walking by and he says, oh, can I help you? <laughs> You're not, it's not even my table, but can I help you? <laughs> There's something. This innate connection is easily uncovered. <laughs> it's great to do with an animal. Like catch, um, catch, um, Mac? Max, uh, uh, breath. No, I meant the violent one. I'm going to be with Mocha. I've got my bed out in this house. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, would you? Jack was telling me about a therapist he works with, 
And it just sounds like the most incredible way to work with a therapist. Do you want to share? How many does this beads? Yeah. And, the, and the, how he gets you to do the breath. There, there really isn't all that much to say. He's, he's a Reiki therapist, and someone that I work with, he's been my therapist. And um, I lie down, and he has me breathe. And as I breathe mostly, he doesn't say a whole lot. He just asks me to pay attention to what's going on. And he's there, and he, he's a Sufi, and he has his little set of beads, and he sits there, and the only thing that I hear when he's not saying uh, what's happening there or something is this little click once in a while of his bead as he does his beads. And he sits there, and he simply creates a space in which I breathe, and he's present. And he's present enough to say, oh, well, what's going on in there, over there in your uh, shoulder or... Uh, Oh, that's interesting, your breath stuff, what's happening now? And it's just being with the person saying very, very little and creating a space for that person to become more alive or more aware. And it's just beautiful. That's what you want to do, isn't and it? It's, you know. I, I, I take it that the meditative focus is really important. It, ma the therapy. it makes a, re it seems to, it makes a space that then I become it's not so much our interaction or all the, too much of the thought, but it gets very deep, very quickly. That's why I think deep tissue people doing deep tissue work do as much therapy. Because there isn't the talk until you get to the place of the holding, and there's the work to be done. The excuse to be together is to touch instead of to talk, and then you, maybe you hit some places, and it's very profound. It's kind of connect the dots instead of Smear it all over with paint. <laughs> God, you're all so happy. This is a poem from W.S. Merwin. He says, first forget what time it is for an hour. Do it regularly every day. <laughs> Then forget what day of the week it is, and do this regularly for a week. <laughs> then forget what country you are in, and practice doing it in company for a week. <laughs> and then do them together for a week with as few breaks as possible. Follow these by forgetting how to add or to subtract. <laughs> it makes no difference, you can change them around after a week. Both will help you later to forget how to count. <laughs> Forget how to count, starting with your age, starting with how to count backwards, starting with even numbers, starting with Roman numerals, starting with fractions, starting with the calendar, going on to the alphabet, forgetting it all until everything is continuous and whole again. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. 
it's like Gurdjieff's students at one time, he said, oh, you've been studying for some time, and it would be nice if you went out into the world, took your practice out. You've learned not to hold on to dates and figures and ideas. You're not learning not to be so mental, so conceptual, but you're learning to just be. So take that out into the world. Go see your friends. Now that you don't have such an opinion to push, now that you don't have so much opposition, so much aggression, go on out, he said, and live in the world for six months and come back. So they went out, and within about two weeks, they started to come back in. And one by one, they returned, much ahead schedule. And he said, what happened? He said, well, when we went out there, because we weren't so someone-ish, because we weren't holding on to this and that, to so much concepts, we lost all our friends. And Gurji said, yes, and that's only the beginning. <laughs> For well, sleep or quiet walking. Um, let the space be in your in your heart. And when you wake up in the morning, to really wake up, see if you wake up on the in breath or the out breath. <laughs> it's the waking up that happens after we wake up. How soon do we wake up after we wake up? It's a wonderful game to play. Wonderful. Do you wake up on the in-breath or the out-breath? Since I've been here, I naturally just get up at 3 o'clock and I'm not tired. Right. I don't usually get up that time. Right. And um, I'm trying to secure the trust that if I stay up the whole time, that I'll be able to make it through the whole day. You don't have to make it through the whole day. No? This is, you are the path. This well, is your retreat. <laughs> well, conflict. You have to, then you have to make a choice. Jack told me a wonderful thing. He said when... Who was that? Mae West. Okay. I told you. Oh, you did tell her. I love yeah, it. I hadn't yeah. heard that before. The Super Bowl people yeah. didn't hear it? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, not if you don't want me to, Jack. I, <laughs> I don't remember that clearly. It's uh, if she has to choose between two evils, she tries one she hasn't done before. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Like Andrea says, I'll try anything twice. <laughs> Often when you come to a retreat or you're meditating or you're breathing more, it changes your sleep rhythm. And we get so much into our concepts of, well, I need six hours or I need nine hours. And your body's change and your need is changed for this week or this day or this time. You say, no, it can't be changing. I need eight hours. And it changes. So if you wake up and, and you want to play with it, come in here. The room is... There's people sitting in here often. It's here and open. And it's, the, it's two in the morning, three in the morning. And it's an exquisite time, actually. It's really silent. You hear just a couple of other breaths or somebody snoring or whatever. But <laughs> it's a beautiful time. And then you see, we're kind of afraid to, it's like we have a battery. And you think, well, gee, if I, you know, if I drain the battery tonight, then tomorrow I'll need a recharge. And a lot, it's an opening and the, the energy just comes through you. And it's not like the battery runs down in that way at all. Uh, I had an experience at the, the app retreat about a year and a half ago, uh, 
I had to, I left one night, it was my daughter's birthday, and I thought that was important to do, and I, I went to sleep, and I was going to get up to, to drive down to, to make morning meditation at 6 o'clock in the morning, or something like that. And I went to sleep about 10.30, and about 2 o'clock in the morning I got up, and, and normally it would be like, oh shit, I'm not going to get enough sleep, how am I going to get, and I said, no, why don't I just meditate with this, and why don't I just lie here and follow my breath? And I just sort of on and off was sort of semi-meditating, semi semi-conscious, I don't know what, for, for probably two hours, and, and then fell asleep for a couple hours. And, I, and that was a great experience. Uh, I think that was the first time was the beginning of letting go if I need a certain amount of sleep, and really believing it, instead of just doing a head trip on it. <coughs> and secondly, I felt fine in it. It was a wonderful experience. The most profound experience of my whole life happened at three, four o'clock in the morning when I happened to roll over and instead of trying to go to sleep, I went to my breath. It's a good time to pay attention. So, um, <coughs> see it said? Keep the silence. Namaste. And watch. Do you wake up on the in-breath or the out-breath? I'd like to make this afternoon a little bit quieter afternoon than some previous days. Partly as a place to listen to and integrate what was done this morning as work. And partly also because as the retreat goes along, it's more appropriate somehow to make more space in ourselves and with ourselves as a group for that kind of inner listening and reflection. And so we'll do a couple of meditation exercises and a little time for some questions and so forth, probably till around three. And it's nice that the sun is out. And then there'll be at least an hour for everybody to take time out in the sun as meditation alone. Maybe we'll come back together again after that. But it'll be a little quieter and a little more spacious, hopefully, in some ways than some of the other afternoons so far. I want to start, if I may, with a story from a book called Tales of a Magic Monastery. It's written by a friend, an old um, Trappist monk who's about six feet seven and very gangly and gaunt and with a long beard and looks like he just stepped off of one of these crosses. And uh, it's stories about some imaginary monastery. He's a wonderful man, and he's been studying with the Tibetans as much as with the uh, uh, monks in his own tradition. This story is called A Visit from the Buddha. Why did I visit the magic monastery? Well, I'm a monk myself, and the strangest thing happened in my own monastery. We had a visit from the Buddha. We prepared for it and gave him a very warm, though solemn, welcome. This is his Cistercian monastery. He stayed overnight, but slipped away very early in the morning. When the monks woke up, 
they found graffiti all over the cloister walls. Imagine! And do you know what he wrote? One word, trivia. Trivia, trivia, all over the place. Well, we were in a rage. But then when I quieted down, I looked about and I realized it's true. So much of what I saw was trivia and most of what I heard. But what is worse, when I closed my eyes, inside there was so much trivia. For several weeks, this was my experience and my very efforts to rectify it made it worse. So I left my monastery and headed for the magic monastery. The brother there showed me around. First, the hall of laughter. Everything fed the flame of laughter, big things and small, sacred, solemn, inconsequential, only laughter there. Next, the room of sorrow, the very essence of bitter tears, those of the bereaved mother, the lonely, the broken-hearted, the depressed, only sorrow in this place. Now the hall of words, words upon words, spoken words, written words, alone they must have had some sense, but altogether, total confusion, I cried out, stop, stop, but I was only adding words to words. And then the great hall of silence, the place wherein you walk and there is no time. He finally took me to the hall of treasures, Take anything you want, he whispered. I chose the heart of Jesus, and with it I am headed back to my monastery. What will you choose? What treasure will you choose? So we started to work in the meditation as a way mostly of learning how to listen to listen initially to the breath and bring our mind and our heart and our consciousness together with our body to feel the breath in the moment. And then gradually opening up through the days of meditation to pain and all the other kinds of sensation in the physical body, expanding the meditation. And then beginning to pay attention to the different feelings and moods, the grief, the sorrow, the longing, the joy, the hindrances, the difficulties, the happy times. And now I'd like to do a very brief exercise that works with paying attention to thought. We've kind of worked up to thought because it's the slipperiest, the most difficult. It's the place where we take our stand finally, after we say, okay, I know this isn't me, this body isn't me, and maybe the feelings aren't me, they just come and go like the weather. But I'm the one who's watching it and thinking about it and commenting on it. And have you noticed when it gets a little quiet in meditation, if this ever happens to you, and it starts to get very still, often there'll arise a little bit of anxiety. Wait a second. It's getting kind of still. I don't know what's going to happen next, so there's the unknown. But especially this anxiety comes because when the thoughts start to disappear, who else disappears? (laughs) 
our sense of our identity is so wrapped up in I did this and I'll do that and someone else has related to me in this way. And when the thoughts start to go, the whole tissue, the whole fabric of I and mine starts to dissolve a bit. Anyway, that's enough to start with. Let yourself sit up in a fairly comfortable way. Don't take the clothes gently. See that your body is fairly comfortable. And for this five minutes, or six minutes of meditation, we're going to pay attention to only thought. Don't follow the breath. As best as you can, forget about any sensations in the body. Don't listen to sounds as they arise. Your job for this time is to leave everything aside except for thought. And what you're going to do is count the thought. Just see how many come through. So you're going to let your mind be kind of open, like the sky or a screen or whatever image works for you. And you're just going to wait once we start and count the thoughts. Now while you do it, you'll see that there are different flavors and textures. Some come as colored pictures. Some come as words. You get the audio portion. Sometimes you get the whole movie, the the pictures and the audio portion. They come through at once. Some of them will be very soft. You'll be waiting and watching, and all of a sudden a thought will come and it'll say, gee, it's really quiet in here, isn't it? And you go, oh, 13. Some of them will sneak up from behind, and there'll be this little thought that says, there haven't been many thoughts yet, have there? And you go, oh, oops, there's 14. So you have to wait. You're going to wait like a cat at a mouse hole. And it's just to see this part of us that we take so much to be I or mine that we create our world, you're just going to watch and see the flavors or textures and count them one after another and see how many thoughts you can count in the period of five minutes. So let your eyes close. So what happened? What did you see? It became easy to watch your breath. I know there have been days when my knee pain has seemed like such a good friend after having to look at my mind for a while. Please. I had quite a few thoughts. In fact, I realized that I had so many that every time I, instead of adding one to my total, I added two. Counting two at a time, two, four, six. Uh-huh. Sort of like the the dam and the little leak coming through. How many did you count? Uh oh, anybody get any more than that? What? Sixty. Anybody else? Eighty. She might win, hmm, please? So you counted the numbers as a th- uh-huh. You can, I mean, because it is just an exercise, you can kind of get into <laughs> counting the, the numbers or something. But if you sit and wait and just watch the other kinds of thought, most people find, this is what the Tibetans call discovering the waterfall, that actually this thing that you saw, this flywheel, this, this dam of stuff that it's pouring over, 
20 or 30 or 50 or 60 for many people in a minute or in, in five minutes is all going on in there all the time. I mean, we walk around, and actually it's kind of what leads us around different places. We're not so reflective about it, but it takes us to certain stores and introduces us to certain people, and then kind of it's, it's like our keeper in a lot of ways. And yet it goes very much unexamined in terms of the spirit of awareness. Yeah, a really strange experience is my mind is, is going most of the time when we sit. It's usually either dreaming or, or some thought. You know, it's the body feelings or, or emotions left to, to look for or go out after it. Mm-hmm. It's usually underneath the thought or something. So we start looking for thoughts. <laughs> like nothing. When, <laughs> went back in the cave, huh? That's about the only thought that I had was, I don't think I had so few thoughts. I must have counted that one about 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Does that happen for anybody else? Anything like that? A few, sure. I was looking for you desperately this morning to tell you that all I could do when I was doing my walking meditation was thought, thoughts, thoughts, and that I was so concentrating on keeping the thoughts out, <laughs> I didn't know whether I was getting anywhere or not. Of course, when I sit down now, very few. Very few. It, there are two things it shows, and we'll take a couple more questions. First of all, it shows, for many of you anyway, that it's possible to make thought an object of meditation. Instead of being the thinker in the thought thinking something, that just this, this little piece of information is really precious. That it's possible some of the time, even if it's infrequent, to relate differently and to see thought as if it were a bubble or an ad on the radio or some condition, something or other, which it is, instead of being totally caught in it. And it says in the Dhammapada, in some of the early sutras of the Buddha, that for somebody who has one moment of awareness of impermanence or awareness of that they are not this which they took themselves to be, it makes a whole transformation in their life. It makes their life worth living because they start to see that that's not who they are. So that's the first thing that it, that it brings to play in this way a little bit, is just this sense that it's possible, though difficult, because there's so many of them, to not be so identified. The other that you learn, and your comment points to it, is that when you turn awareness onto something, very often, um, instead of being so caught in it, it somehow changes the process. It's not that you're trying to change it, but the awareness itself, the thoughts will vanish like fog under the sun. And they might come out for a little bit, but it's like bringing attention to it, then the compulsive nature of it sometimes will drop away. Same with the body. When you bring your awareness to a place that's been held or tight, very often, in its own way, it, it releases. It's the basis for the kind of healing that comes spontaneously in meditation. Other experiences, sir? Yeah, um, I had very much the same experience and, and, and noticed that as I was having less th- Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.